Welcome back to Corn Syrup, a horror podcast. I'm Tyler. And yes, it is just me today. Mike is actually out buying a house. He has been a very busy boy lately. So welcome to the first solo episode of Corn Syrup. And today I am going to be ranking the Final Destination films, all five of them. These are movies that I have seen numerous times, some more than others, but I would venture a pretty safe guess and say I've seen every one of these movies, I mean, I don't know, close to a dozen times. They definitely range in quality. To me, there's a very clear-cut worst out of the bunch, which we will get to shortly. Uh, These rankings are coming on the heels of um, not-so-recent announcements, but it does sound as though there is a sixth film in the making for this franchise. We don't know what year it's going to come out, but it does sound like it was in the works pre-COVID. So obviously everything got put on hold because of COVID, um, and we do not have a release date or we don't even know if things have resumed filming again, but there will be a sixth installment in this franchise, and I would I would say this is a little bit of an underrated franchise. It's um it's very creative. You know, there's no there's no killer per se stalking these victims. Although I would call it a slasher film, maybe not in the technical sense, but uh, stylistically in the terms of you know people are being killed over and over again. There's a lot of gore, especially as the franchise progresses. So I do think this is an overlooked franchise from a critical perspective. You know, this time of year, we hear about Halloween, we hear about Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, so on and so forth. You don't hear a lot about this franchise. There's just not as much fanfare. Um, But as we will get into, if if the box numbers are any indication, maybe this franchise is a lot more popular than I thought it was. Um, I... You know, in review for this podcast, I was not expecting the box office numbers to be as high as they are for these films. Uh, It has certainly reeled in a lot of money. I just think it kind of falls under the radar for a lot of horror fans from a critical perspective. So with the sixth installment of the franchise coming out within the next year or two or maybe three years, that means on the ledger... Coming out in various years, various months, but somewhere in the not-so-distant future, we have the new Halloween movie coming out, Halloween Kills. We have Scream 5. We have the Candyman sequel, which was supposed to come out this fall, just like Halloween Kills. Um, We have uh, Final Destination 6, as I mentioned. And then we also just recently got the first teaser poster for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel. It's going to be a direct sequel to the original 1974, much like Halloween 2018 was a direct sequel to the 1978 Halloween. So they are bypassing the sequels, and that's probably for the better. There's really not a whole lot of memorable sequels, and the ones that are memorable aren't really memorable for the right reasons, or not, they're not memorable from a continuity standpoint. Like, you don't really need to keep Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 in the timeline, because that's such a different movie than the original. It's really not pertinent to the original at all. So I think bypassing the sequels is a great move for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Um, the teaser poster, you know, it looks good. If you look closely enough, there's actually a hidden silhouette of, of Leatherface doing his patented chainsaw swing. Um, and that's sort of at the bottom of the, of the, of the teaser poster. Obviously, there's not a whole lot to talk about on that front. I'm excited for it. Uh, Mike and I were speaking, we're a little pessimistic about the film. It's just been so long since we've seen a, a good Texas Chainsaw movie. 
Um, but again, it's it was a long time before we had seen a good Halloween movie too, and I think they're doing the right thing by bypassing all of the sequels and making this a direct sequel to the classic from 1974. I think that's going to do the franchise a lot of good. So if I had to rank these five future horror movies coming out, and they're all mega franchises, may, maybe except for Candyman. Uh, the original Candyman has definitely gotten more popular over time, but it's not a franchise known for its sequels, both sequels being very forgettable up to this point. But if I had to rank them um, in terms of my excitement level, I would go Halloween Kills. Uh, anyone who listens to the podcast or anybody who knows me personally, you know I'm a huge Halloween fan, as is Mike. So that's definitely uh, number one on my list. Very interested to see where they stake that take that story and build off the 2018 very interested to see does jamie lee curtis ultimately die um how big of a role is allison going to have moving forward is she going to be taking over as essentially your new final girl um i think that's possible and i'm I'm interested to see exactly what they do scream 5 would be number two for me um i love scream the original i love scream 2 i love scream 4 the only one that you know can completely screw off is Scream 3, but overall, that's a very fun franchise, and uh, it's been confirmed that David Arquette is coming back, it's been confirmed that Nev Campbell is coming back, um, so sign me up for that, looking forward to that. Eventually, one or several of these characters need to die, right, with Sidney Prescott, Gal Weathers, and Dewey. I mean, eventually, these people need to die, at least one or two of them, I would imagine, so we'll see what Scream 5 does with that. I love the original Candyman. I would put the Candyman sequel as my number th- my number three anticipated movie on this list. To me, it's just a movie that has gotten so much better over time, looking back in hindsight, the fact that this thing was made back in the early 90s, and it's so socially relevant today. It's definitely a movie that, at its heart, if you strip it down to the nitty-gritty, that it had a lot to say about social injustices and, and, and inequality. Um, it's a very interesting movie, and I think Candyman is actually very scary, too. Tony Todd with a great performance. Very interested to see um, what this sequel brings, especially with Jordan Peele, executive producer on the film. So definitely interested there. I would then put the Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel as number four. That's not to say I'm not excited about it. It's just not one of my favorite slasher franchises, and um, I'm a little pessimistic. I just think ever since the 1974 and, and the remake from the early 2000s from Marcus Nispel. There's just not a whole lot there within that franchise that I've been able to get excited about. So I'm a little more pessimistic on that one. Um, but I would still put it ahead of Fri- uh, Final Destination 6, which I would say is my number number five on my excitement level. It's not that I think it's a bad franchise, because as I already indicated, I think it's good and maybe even underrated in some aspects. For me, it's just not on the same level of seeing somebody like Michael Myers or... Le- or Leatherface or Candyman or Ghostface on the big screen. To me, it's just a little bit different. It doesn't get the blood pumping just as much just because there's really no iconic slasher villain within the movies. But uh, creative kills, as we'll get into, so I'm looking forward to it from that perspective. And they will be building off a very good last installment uh, from this franchise, which, again, we will get into a little bit further. And without further ado, let's do it. Let's get into Final Destination rankings. Again, there are five films in this franchise, and to me, there is such a clear-cut worst movie in this franchise. Um, it's not even close. I think everything else, I think there's a big difference between the fourth best and the fifth best, um, and let's get into that. So the worst film 
in this franchise to me easily is a movie called The Final Destination, also known as Final Destination 4, also known as Final Destination 3D. And this was released in 2009. It was a huge box office success, just like most of these movies were. Um, it had a budget of $40 million, and it generated $186 million. Critics did not like this movie. They agree with me, and actually so did the fans. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 28% critic rating and a 35% audience rating, which is easily the lowest audience rating on our scale here. This movie is the worst for several reasons. Uh, the 3D is very hokey. It's not well done. The CGI is not well done. It's 2009, so I'm taking that into consideration, uh, but the CGI still is not good. But by far the worst part about this movie, the characters are absolute shit, um, and the actors portraying those characters are really not a whole lot better. By this point, the franchise was really hinging on the deaths, and they were a disappointment in this movie, but moreover than that, the franchise was really hinging on the opening premonition scene. And even that one, to me, is probably the worst in the franchise. The effects look like garbage. They look like cartoons. Um, and even the deaths within that premonition scene are just not creative. You can tell that as from a, from a creativity perspective, not from a money-making perspective, obviously, but from a creativity perspective, this was a franchise wearing thin. It's very obvious to me that this was just a cash grab. The franchise was very financially beneficial for the creators of these films. Um, but this is a movie where you could tell the people who went into this movie, and it's ironic because David R. Ellis actually directed Final Destination 2, um, which is considered to be one of the better films of the franchise, and he returned to, to, direct, to direct this one. And it's so clear that he just had no vision for what he wanted to do here. The writers for this film... They were obviously very cynical. They went in here and they were thinking, you know, they can make every character a douchebag, every character a bitch, because at this point we're just waiting to see them die. And maybe that is true to an extent, but it's never rewarded to the viewers because even the deaths in this movie, like I said, just lack all creativity. It's by far the most frustrating film of the franchise there's a character named Hunt in the movie, just your prototypical douchebag, um, and you know he's going to die, but even his death in the movie, it's just it just feels underwhelming. It doesn't feel like waiting for him to die was worth the wait whatsoever. Moreover, with the characters, Bobby Campo played Nick. He is the main character in the movie. He's not a good character. There's just nothing there. He's so paper thin. You don't ever feel as though you're rooting for him. There's no character development. He's just with his girlfriend the entire time, and she's the same way. There's You don't know anything about these people other than the fact that they're college-aged um, and that they're dating. And other than that, there's just nothing there. There's nothing to root for here. And again, Bobby Campo's performance really doesn't do anything to, to help his cause either. There's a character named George in the film, played by Kelly Williamson. His character, again, I think they tried to make him a sympathetic character. His acting and the writing and his line delivery in this movie uh, do not do him any favors. There's a point where he's trying to kill himself, 
and Michael know what I'm talking about here, and our main characters arrive and stop him from killing himself, and just the way he delivers this really stupid line. He says, I've been trying to kill myself all day, but you really gotta watch the movie to understand where I'm coming from. It just comes off super comical in a moment that I don't think was supposed to be comical. I could be wrong on that, uh, because it's hard to tell. The acting is not good, the writing is not good. Uh, this is also one of those movies you think it's about 25 minutes too long, even though it's the shortest of the franchise. Um, there's a point where you think the movie's over, and then you check your remote to see how much time is left, and there's actually 25 minutes left. Uh, and again, it's the shortest movie of the franchise, so that's saying something. But this is the worst movie in the franchise for a number of reasons. Again, the acting. There's just no chemistry between the main characters, Nick and Laurie. It's just not good. And then the surrounding characters are all douchebags, like the racist guy that calls George the N-word for some reason. And even his death leaves you underwhelmed and wanting more. Uh, Nick is the worst main character in the franchise, by my estimation. These are some of the most uncreative deaths in the franchise, by my estimation. The most memorable scene in the movie to me is the car wash scene with Janet, but ultimately it's not even a death scene because she's saved. Most memorable Final Destination death scenes to me stem from everyday casual life, like being on an airplane or being on a roller coaster or being in a, in a traffic accident and so on and so forth. Um, and to me, the deaths in this movie just felt forced. And with the car wash scene, I thought it was a missed opportunity. There's a real-life situation. Um, for, for me personally, whenever I go through a car wash now, I think about that scene in the movie. And it's the only scene from this movie that is worth thinking about. Um, but again, it did not even end in Janet's death. So the Final Destination, also known as Final Destination 4, is the worst-ranked film in this franchise for me by a country mile moving on to the f number four is final destination three and mind you there is a big gap in quality between final destination three and the final destination this movie was directed by james wong who oddly enough directed the first final destination so that you you're, you're noticing a bit of a trend here a lot of these people have their hands in multiple Final Destination films. Um, and this is a pretty good addition to the franchise. It's very far from perfect. But James Wong did a pretty good job here. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a critic score of 43%. With the audience, it has a score of 57%. It was made on a 25 million dollar budget it generated 119 million dollars and it came out in 2006 three years prior to the fourth installment so this actually had a pretty significantly smaller budget 15 million dollars less than um, our worst ranked film final destination 4 but this movie certainly did a whole lot with it uh first and foremost the premonition scene with the roller coaster is very well done uh, the effects here look a lot better, and it's also just scarier. I, w I would venture, I would say this might be the scariest premonition scene because most people are afraid of roller coasters, and if not, you at least find them thrilling, and there's an inherent danger that comes with that thrill. Um, so seeing a roller coaster go up in flames or being derailed, it's everyday life that we take part in, um, and it's also very scary to me for that reason. Um, moreover than that, the main character in this movie is played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who's become a somewhat famous actress over time now, and I think she's one of the deeper characters in the entire franchise. Uh, it's very clear she's, she's fighting survivor's guilt. Her 
based on her premonition on the roller coaster, her boyfriend was unable to get off, and he actually died in that accident, and she feels guilty that she lived over him, um, and she's very deep. This is a this is a well-written character, especially when you compare her character to some of the others in the franchise. This is not a franchise known for its characters or its character development, but they do a really good job with her, and her performance is very good. Uh, it, it, it is plain to see how she became a pretty well-known actress following this movie. Um, and unlike Final Destination 4, this movie does have creative kills. For example, one of the more memorable kills of the franchise, I think, is the tanning bed scene uh, with the two dumb bimbos. And I'll get to them a little bit more in a little bit. But what a scene, man. When they're when they're laying in the tanning bed, they're trapped in there, the heat is rising, and eventually the tanning beds go up in flames. Um, and there's a really good cut shot there where they can show you an overhead shot of the two tanning beds on fire. And then the very next shot, it goes to their two caskets laying next to each other. So that's really good direction there by James Wong. Um, and there's more there's more good kills in this movie. Frankie is killed in the drive-thru the engine from the vehicle chopping at the back of his head. Where the movie lacks now, um, the characters are starting to get really superficial in this movie. Like I said, the two tanning bed girls, great death scene, really dumb characters. Uh, the writing here did did start to become a little, little bit cynical, which became a recurring theme in the franchise at this point. This is really the one that kicked it off. Um, the pervert, Frankie, I, I think, you know, sometimes they... They think these characters are going to be funny, these perverts just that just harass women, and they don't come off as funny. They really just come off annoying to me. Um, I, I hate that I hate that stereotypical character. And then you get the arrogant jock who also had a really good death scene. So the kills in this movie are good. The characters, other than Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Ryan Merriman's character, Kevin, they're really not good at all. Um, I do really enjoy the relationship between Wendy, played by Winstead, and Kevin, played by Merriman. I think their relationship is very good. It's very friendly. It's very combative. They both lost their significant others on the roller coaster, but they're but they're kind of morphing together and becoming more friendly as the movie goes on in order to solve what exactly is going on. But this movie, you know, it other than them two, the characters are completely empty. And it is, a, it is a movie that signified kind of the formulaic approach to the franchise at this point. Like the skeptics always die. Uh, you know, the people who buy into it are the main characters, and they're the only ones with a chance of survival. Um, and that really became the formula. So that's a little bit frustrating to see. Um, there wasn't a ton of creati creativity from a storyline perspective. But the two main characters are very good, especially Wendy um, and the deaths are very good. The premonition scene to me is very scary. It ends with a second premonition scene. I guess their philosophy at this point was go big or go home. People are coming out to see people die. The franchise was really depending on these premonition scenes and these death scenes. So they gave us a second one at the end with a subway. Now it proved very pointless in the grand scheme of the franchise. The franchise never tied this subway scene back into the remainder of its films. And that's fine. It gave us more deaths. I know. I don't love it. I don't hate it. To me, this is a middle-of-the-pack movie. It is far better than Final Destination 4, but it really doesn't warrant anything higher than our number 4 spot, and that's mainly because, other than our two main characters, the, the characters in this movie are just really, really bad.
Moving on to our number three spot in the Final Destination franchise. This was not easy for me. Uh, I was back and forth on two films. I decided to go with Final Destination 5, which came out two years later after Final Destination 4, and somehow resurrected this franchise from a creativity standpoint. I give this movie a lot of credit, and that's why I was tempted to put it at number two. Uh, but man, from a creativity standpoint, if Final Destination 4 was any indication, you would have thought this movie would have been another steaming pile of shit, but it is not. They come back very strong here, and it's mainly because of the tone. It's an improved tone. Uh, there's definitely a lot more comedy here, and it's pretty good comedy for the most part. And also the character development in this movie. This this is probably the only Final Destination movie in the franchise other than the first where the character development is really, really strong. Uh, you get Miles Fisher as Peter. You get Nicholas DeCosto as Sam. And you get Emma Bell as Molly. All three of them are really, really good in this movie. There's a great character arc with Miles Fisher at the end. The ending of the f film is very tense. If you've seen it, you probably remember it. Um, for me, it's one of the more memorable moments of a pretty memorable movie. Uh, but the tone is very good. They welcomed in David Koechner, who's been in a multitude of comedy roles. You have P.J. Byrne from Wolf of Wall Street, who's almost always the comedic relief. And he's very funny in this, too. And Sam in this movie, again, played by Nick, Nicholas DeCosto. Again, there's character development. He likes to cook. He's thinking about moving to Paris to take on an apprenticeship to become a, a, a well-renowned chef. You get the return of Tony Todd in this movie as William Bloodworth, who was not in 3 and 4. Um, and, you know, is, is he essential to the movie? No. But, hey, I'll take any excuse I can get to be able to watch Tony Todd and, and talk and hear him speak with that sinister voice that he has. Um, so I appreciated that. And I would say that the premonition scene in this film, it takes place on a bridge. I would say it is the second best premonition scene of the entire franchise. I don't want to give away what is number one, but I think it's the best. There's some really good kills here. Candace falls off the bridge and she's impaled by the boat. Uh, Dennis, who again is played by De uh, David Kepner, is burned by hot tar. Peter is impaled by the rebar, and as he falls, he hits that cement at the bottom. Um, it's just really good stuff here. It's very adventurous. It's It almost turns action movie-like, and it's very good. And even outside of the premonition scene, this has one of my favorite deaths, and it's the gymnastics death with Candace. And it's such a simple but effective death scene. And also the madness and depression that Miles Fisher's character sinks into after the death of Candace, who was his girlfriend in the film, is just something I can really appreciate as well. So overall, I mean, the characters in this movie, the storyline is good, the deaths are good, the visionary scene is very good, and the, and the twist at the end is very well welcomed. This movie was not marketed as a prequel to the original Final Destination, but that's exactly what it turned out to be. It turned out that Sam accepts the apprenticeship in Paris at the end of the film after his encounter with Peter. He's moving out to Paris with Molly, and it turns out the plane they're boarding is from the original film. And that's just a great twist, man. It shows me that the people who made this movie came into it with some care for the franchise. They cared about the quality of this movie. And I give a lot of credit to the director, Stephen Quayle, who is the only non-repeat director 
in this franchise. He's the only one who's directed only one movie in the franchise. And it's very clear that he had a vision for this movie, no pun intended, and it's very clear that he cared about the quality. And I give him a lot of credit for that. And I'm not the only one who really likes this movie. So on Rotten Tomatoes, this is really the best-ranked film of the franchise. It has a 62% from critics and a 52% from the audience. I don't know how only half the audience liked this movie. You might... You must just not like this franchise if you don't like this movie. Um, and again, it was a financial success, which is a little weird how it's taking us, you know, all this time to get another Final Destination film, considering this was made nine years ago. Uh, but it, it was a $40 million budget, and it and it, and it it grossed $158 million. So, so another successful film in the franchise. Um, the quality of this one gives me hope for the sixth film. And that's not to say Stephen Quayle, the director, is returning or any of the writers are returning or anybody involved for that matter. Um, but seeing that it's possible for some people to come in with care and treat this franchise like it matters after the fourth installment where it seemed as though the franchise was dead in the water from a quality perspective, it gives me hope that this can be repeated in some aspect and we can get a quality sixth film in the franchise moving forward. My number two Final Destination film is Final Destination 2, released in 2003, three years after the original. This movie is known for almost unanimously having the best premonition scene in the entire franchise with the car wreck. It is the movie that made people nervous, gave people sweaty palms and white knuckles every time they see a truck with wooden logs on it. <laughs> it's just... Uh, it's a great scene. For anyone who has seen Final Destination 2, they will tell you that it is the best premonition scene in the franchise. It's an absolutely unforgettable scene. So many good deaths. And to me, this movie also benefits from the return of Clear Rivers, played by Ali Larder, who was one of the main characters in the original film. I like that it was tied to the original film. I think it really benefited in that regard. And Clear Rivers is really one of the more popular and memorable characters from the franchise. So it was good to see her return from the original. I really appreciate that continuity. And aside from having the best premonition scene in the franchise, it also has great deaths outside of that. It has Evan, um, who dies in the apartment scene where he falls off the ladder and then is impaled through the eyeball by the ladder. Uh, Tim, the little kid in the movie, has one of the most memorable deaths of the franchise when he's crushed by the plate glass after leaving the dentist's office. Very tense dentist scene too, and then it's capped off with his death outside of the building. It's just a phenomenal death scene. Um, and this movie at least tried to do something different from a writing standpoint. Um, everybody was dying in reverse order, unlike the first one where everybody was dying in order based on the premonition. And back to the premonition scene. So it takes up the first 15 to 20 minutes of this movie, and that's really where the franchise got its M.O., from this time on, every movie in the franchise had these dragged out, elaborate premonition scenes. And this movie really set the table for that. It actually really set the table for what the Final Destination franchise came to be known for. And that was their kills, and it was for the premonition scenes. And this movie really solidified that, so I give it a lot of credit for that as well. It's also a more humorous movie than the first one. The ending has a lot of campiness and humor to it where the kid is grilling and his severed hand, the grill blows up and his severed hand uh, lands on the mom's plate and she screams out in agony. I mean, it's it's a it's a more tongue-in-cheek movie than the first one um, and I give it credit for that too. Where the movie falters a little bit, the main characters in this movie, Kimberly and Officer Burke, played by A.J. Cook and Michael Landis, they're really not all that memorable 
it's a it's a significant drop drop off from Devin Sawa and Ali Larder um, in the first installment. Again, Ali Larder returns here, but the emphasis of the movie is really on Kimberly and Officer Burke. And to me, they're not all that interesting. They develop a relationship, but other than that, there's not a whole lot of development there. Uh, they're boring, so they're definitely a drop off from the first movie. And I would I would say they're a drop off from uh, Final Destination Three as well with Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Ryan Merriman. And also the fifth movie with Nicholas DeCosto, Emma Bell, and Miles Fisher. Um, I, I, oddly enough, I'm ranking this movie second, but it might have the second worst main characters in the franchise. But they are uplifted by what is a pretty good supporting cast. I look back on this movie, and not only is the premonition scene extremely memorable, but the side characters are too. And to the benefit of the movie, they do get a lot of screen time. And they're definitely killed in very creative ways as well. This movie, again, was directed by David R. Ellis, who somehow went on to direct Final Destination 4. This is clearly a big step up in quality from that movie. Um, It was made on a $26 million budget. It generated $90 million. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 48% from critics, and it has a 58% from the audience. But moving on to our number one, it is none other than the original Final Destination, the one that cemented this as a super popular and super lucrative horror franchise. It came out in 2000. It starred Devin Sawa and Ali Larder, as I mentioned, and it was directed by James Wong, the same individual who went on to direct Final Destination 3. You can tell why sequels were made. They had a budget of $23 million. It generated $113 million. Uh, reviews for this from the from the critics are surprising surprisingly low 35 percent from critics audiences though however really liked it 68 percent from the audience the thing i like about this movie oddly enough is a is something that the franchise is not necessarily known for because it's the first movie in the franchise it takes its time before the plane crash it really does a good job of building tension and i actually like that the movie does not go immediately into the premonition I like that it starts sort of as a mystery, that you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, And I like the suspense, and I like that tension. The crash premonition, though, the airplane crash, is very well done. It's shorter than the other installments. Um, It's not over the top. Again, it's scary. It's an everyday situation you may find yourself in taking an airplane. And everybody's worst fear when you're getting ready to take off is, guess what? You know, having that plane crash... Um, so it's terrifying. The acting and the characters in this movie are really well done. Devin Sawa as Alex is really one of the more memorable characters of the franchise. I think when most people think Final Destination, they probably think Devin Sawa, and they probably think Ali Larder as Clear Rivers, and rightfully so. They do a very good job here, and then there's also good side characters. There's Carter, who is kind of a douchebag, but he has a, he has a really good character arc where he becomes friends with Alex and Clear toward the end of the film. So it's good writing there. You have Sean William Scott as Billy Hitchcock, who is sort of the rambunctious, irreverent type, um, wearing his New York Rangers hockey sweater. This is, uh, he's another good character. He's somebody you root for. You really don't want him to die, even though you know he's going to be dying. And Sean William Scott, always good to see him. Um, and then Todd in this movie, his relationship with Alex, played by Devin Sawa, it's a really good relationship. Todd's brother died on the plane, and Todd's parents do not want him hanging out with Alex. 
Um, but they kind of talk about it and they make plans and Todd forgives Alex and doesn't blame him for anything at all. And that's a really good relationship. And that ultimately ends in a very sad death scene uh, with, Ta- with Todd dying in his bathroom at, in which is what is framed as a suicide. Other good kills in this movie is when Terry is killed by the bus. Uh, the train track scene in which Billy Hitchcock, played by Sean William Scott, is killed, man. Very white knuckle. You kind of become numb to it after a while after after having seen it so many times. But I remember not thinking that Billy Hitchcock was going to die there. I really thought it was going to be Carter. Um, and it's a really good scene. Because it's the first movie in the franchise, it really benefits to me from its simplicity, its setup, its groundedness. You know, there's not too many goofy scenes or overly superficial characters the deaths are well done, but it's but it also does not feel excessive. So I really think it benefits from its simplicity. And much like we've seen in slasher franchises, you know, they tend to get bloodier, more over the top, worse characters over time with each passing sequel. And and Final Destination is no exception for the most part. It stays true to itself. It's a good mystery. It's not just watching people die and getting sliced and diced in creative, over-the-top ways. Um, and I like that about it. I like that it's a thriller. I like that it builds suspense. If I had to find ways to criticize it, I would say that toward the end of the movie, when Alex and Clear are trying to escape death, it does lose a little bit of steam. It's not great at holding my interest at that point. I think that everything that came before it, and I think how the movie ends, it's all really good stuff. Um, but there's that 15-minute portion of the film of the final act where Alex and Clear are trying to escape death, and it's not all that interesting. But overall, this to me is fairly easily the best film in the franchise. It's a movie that I've gone back and watched so many times, and more often than not, if I'm in the mood to watch a Final Destination movie, I will pop this on Um followed closely by Final Destination 2. Uh, Final Destination 2 is maybe a little faster paced, maybe a little bit more memorable if you're more so into the deaths. But to me, this movie laid the groundwork for, for the franchise where maybe the second one just elevated it a little bit more. But I really appreciate the original for what it is. So there you have it, the official corn syrup rankings of the Final Destination movies. Let's count it back one more time. In fifth place, we have The Final Destination, also known as Final Destination 4. In fourth place, we have Final Destination 3. In third place, we have Final Destination 5. In second place, we have Final Destination 2. And our number one spot is the original Final Destination movie from the year 2000. A franchise to me that is seeped in nostalgia. Again, looking forward to what they are going to do with the sixth installment Based on the money this franchise has made, it's probably it's probably been a long time coming for them to put out another installment, so looking forward to that. That is going to do it for this episode of Corn Syrup, guys. I appreciate you joining me. I appreciate you supporting us, especially because this was a solo episode for the podcast. Congratulations to my co-pilot, Mike, on buying his house. And uh, as always, guys, keep in touch with us on Twitter. We are at Corn Syrup Pod. Keep in touch on Instagram, Corn Syrup Podcast. And uh, we will talk to you guys soon. And happy Halloween. <laughs>